You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. C.S. Lewis once made the comment, why do we read, he asked the question, and then he answered it by saying, we read to know that we're not alone. Why do we enjoy a good movie? Why do we enjoy a good book? Why do we enjoy stories? Because we see ourselves in these stories. We find that the experiences that others have had that they tell about, whether it be fictional or non-fictional, are stories that we connect to and we glean from them. We learn from them. It helps us to understand ourselves better as well as the world around us. And I wonder if years from now somebody writes a story of your life, would it be a page turner? Would it be something that they would be excited to read about because of what your life was about and what you accomplished and what you experienced? Even the good, the bad, and the ugly, I think, are sometimes what makes stories great. So really, in a sense, as we talk about page turners. We go through this series through the book of Acts over the next couple months, and I hope that you will be here. If you're not on vacation, I expect you to be here. In fact, in fact, I expect you to bring somebody with you. Look, there's room. Let's bring them. Let's get them here. Let's do it. All of us. It's our job to do this. So, so uh, I am excited about this series as we go through the book of Acts, because if you've never read the book of Acts, in fact, if you've never read the Gospels and the book of Acts, and you were to pick it up and read it for the very first time, I promise you, it is a page-turner. It is a page-turner. What is it that makes a book a page-turner? Well, there's intrigue. There's the what's-going-to-happen-next kind of idea, you know? It's like you read a page-turner, it always ends you at the end of a chapter with, oh, I can't wait to read the next chapter, right? That's, that's, that's what makes something a page-turner. A page-turner has has the protagonists, you know, the people that you root for, the underdogs, the outcasts. This page turner of the book of Acts is about an outcast religious sect that becomes mainstream because of the work of the Spirit in their lives. You have the antagonist, you have the, the bad guys, you have the principalities and the powers, the rulers and the authorities. All of those are in this story of the book of Acts. And as we read that, we see this tension between the protagonist and the antagonist. This is a story that involves conflict. It it involves adventure. It involves fear. It involves persecution and, and murder. It involves hardships. It involves great speeches and court scenes and natural disasters and supernatural miracles. Does that not sound like a page turner? I mean, don't you just, you're already sitting at the edge of your seat. Sit back. I know. It's, it's exciting. Don't get too excited here this morning. But I, I want you to come with fresh eyes as we take a look at this story, as we walk through the book of Acts, because I believe that not only are we reading about things that have happened long ago, we're reading about things the Spirit is doing even now in people's lives and, and what the Spirit could even do in your life and through your life. So, so I, I, I strongly urge you. There's two primary characters in the book of Acts, one by the name of Peter, one by the name of Paul. They're the two main characters, although there are sub-characters. And uh, today I want to sort of lay a foundation for 
Peter, and we're going to talk about Peter's transformation, Peter's life. But before we do that, when you read a book, I don't know about you, I like to know who wrote it. I want to know who it was written to. Helps me to get the understanding of the book if I know who the author was and what the author's about. And really, if I understand that he's writing to somebody, I want to know what, that gives me a bit of an understanding of what's the angle that he's coming from in this story. So the author of this book, of this story, of this page turner, we're talking about the book of Acts, is Luke. I don't know if you understood. The gospel of Luke was written by Luke and Acts was written by Luke. Acts is really the second volume of Luke's work. And so you see Luke going right into the story of Jesus. The gospel tells about Jesus. And then the book of Acts, Luke talks about what happened after Jesus. How did the church, excuse me, get started? How did the spirit begin this movement that we are still a part of right now today? So it's it's this complete story. Now, who was Luke? Well, Luke was not a Jew. Luke was a Gentile. Luke was, was one of those people that Paul reached. And so if you see in the book, you'll see that Luke was a companion of Paul's. In fact, a very faithful companion of Paul's. Although Luke tells the story of Peter and Paul, it starts with Peter and then it goes to Paul, Paul's conversion and Paul's story. In fact, in Paul's writings, in uh, his letter to the church in Colossae, he refers to Luke. And in fact, you'll notice it says there, he says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Do you see that? Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. So Luke and Demas were traveling with Paul and a companion of his when Paul was writing as he was under house arrest in Rome. The last letter we have of Paul's is his letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy. And he writes at the end of the letter those words that you see up there. Do your best, he writes to Timothy, to come quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is still with me. Isn't that interesting? Luke was a faithful friend, a faithful companion of the Apostle Paul. And so if I understand that, you're going to see that Paul, that, that Luke's writings about Paul are going to be very favorable. They're going to be quite, um, you know, telling a lot about Paul's story. That's why we know so much about Paul because Luke was his companion and Luke was his biographer basically writing about him in the book of Acts. So so that's the author. Who's the audience? Who is Luke writing to? I know sometimes we read the Bible and we think, oh, that was written to me. Well, yes, yes by the Spirit of God inspires it to you, but it wasn't written to you, it was written to actual people that lived in those times. And and Luke is writing to a person by the name of Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is a Greek name, it's a Greek word, and it's two words put together. It's called God, Theo, uh, phileo, phileo means love, lover of God. So some scholars say, well, Theophilus was a, maybe just a fictional person that he was writing to because he knew this would be passed around to the churches, but it might have been and probably was 
a disciple of, Paul, of Luke's. Luke was probably a Theophilus's mentor, but it was also meant to be spread around to others too. So if I haven't put you to sleep yet, let me just read this, okay? The beginning of Luke, it starts this way. He writes, he says, um, Luke chapter one, if you're turning your Bible and read it, it would say this, many have undertaken... This is the reason why Luke is writing. He said, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, he says, since I myself have carefully invested everything from the beginning, the next chapter to Luke, or to Theophilus, I'm sorry, it says, I have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I think I, made the, I, I messed up those slides, so that's my fault back there. I'll fix that. I have decided to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that's the reason that he's writing this. So right now, what I want to do, I want to talk about, I want to do three things. First of all, I want to talk about Peter. I want us to get to know the character Peter. Peter, we're talking about Peter. He's the big main character beginning. I want to ask the question at the end of this, what inspires me about Peter's story? What is it about Peter that brings inspiration to me? And then I want to ask, what is it that moves me to action? Can we do that? Can we do that? Let's pray real quickly. God, as we look into this story, my prayer for everyone in this room right now is that as we read about Peter, that we see ourselves in Peter. As we see what you did in Peter's life, we can believe that you can do things like that in our lives. That as we see the adventure of Peter's story and the faith and leadership of Peter, that we might have courage to step up and be leaders in our own circles of influence. And may the Spirit of God fill each of us today anew, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So let's talk about Peter's journey. Peter's journey, we see Peter back in the beginning of the Gospels. He's a fisherman, a Galilean, living in the north country, having this accent that the people in Jerusalem you know, could recognize. It's like Pittsburghers anywhere else in the country. You listen to that accent and you'll say, have you, been, have you ever been traveling and you hear somebody talk? say, you're from Pittsburgh, aren't you? You don't even need to know. You just know by the accent. Our, our Yinzer accent gives us away all the time, anywhere you travel. I, I've had that experience. Well, that was Peter. He was a fisherman, lived in Galilee. Pretty poor, made his life catching fish, selling fish. Probably a family business. And one day, it says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Now, Peter's name was also Simon. His given name was Simon. And he was also... Uh, uh, Peter, so uh, uh, I, we can talk about that later. But anyhow, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, I've always been baffled by the fact that here I have a life, I have a career, I have a job, and immediately some unknown rookie rabbi comes walking by and calls me to follow him and I'm going to leave everything to follow that person? 
Something about Jesus attracted them. Something about Jesus gave them the opportunity. Well, here's one of the reasons for that. To be a disciple of a rabbi was a very esteemed position. In that culture, education was everything. And if you were smart enough, you could be invited to be a disciple of a rabbi. But if you didn't cut the muster, you went back to your trade. Because there was no money in being a trade. But if you were a religious leader in that saturated religious culture... You were esteemed. It's like, it's like the Italian mother, my son's a priest. You know, you take pride in knowing that, that, that a family member's a priest. When you have a family member's a priest, you're, you're, you're closer to God. You know, that's sort of a lot of the way a lot of people think around here. And, and, and so back then, if your child was, was, a, was a disciple of a rabbi, you were esteemed. So when they were invited to become a disciple of Jesus, all of a sudden, their status elevated. Their status elevated. Now, Jesus wasn't a known rabbi. He didn't go to big rabbinical school. He wasn't, you know, Gamaliel or some of those famous rabbis of those days. And so Jesus didn't necessarily draw from the top, you know, 10% of the uh, religious schools. He called people because he saw something in them that somebody else didn't see. He called people to follow him that no one else would ask to follow them. For instance, a tax collector. No rabbi would invite a tax collector to follow him because they were hated by the Jewish people. But Jesus had a way of seeing things in people and drawing out of people what other people could not see. He does that for you and he does that for me. He sees things in you that nobody else sees and draws things out of you to call you to your best, to call you to something bigger than yourself. That's what he did with Peter and his brother Andrew. So he was a fisherman. Peter was a fisherman. In fact, Peter, as you read through the gospel, is the one that basically speaks most for the rest of the disciples. He was a somewhat impetuous. He was impulsively devoted to Jesus. In fact, at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, everybody's going to fall away from me, Peter said, not me. I'll never fall away. Even if everybody else falls away, I will never fall away. I mean, that's the personality of Peter. He was all in whenever he decided to do something. And he was a fisherman, and that's why he was also a rock of a person. Now that comes from another passage. Jesus, with his disciples one day, asked them the question, who do people say that I am? It was a rhetorical question. I'm sure he already knew. But in this dialogue, some say that, you know, you're Elijah come back from the dead. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say, you know, you're Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. But then he said, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who stepped up and he answered and he said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. In other words, I believe you are it. You're the promised one that David and the prophets talked about. And Simon and Jesus said, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah or John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. 
and upon this rock I will build my church and the powers of hell will not prevail against it, will not conquer it. Peter was a rock. Upon Peter, the church is going to be built. Peter must be some fantastic guy. Jesus saw that potential. He recognizes leadership capabilities. And, and Peter had a great talk. I mean, he, he could talk the talk. He made the commitments. He said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be there with Jesus. I'm solid as a rock, man. With Jesus, he and I, we're tight. I'm never going to fall away. I am a rock. And yet, before morning, he turned into butter. He was a chicken. He was a denier. You remember the story? Jesus got arrested. Peter's kind of looking from the distance, kind of following the, the, the mob that arrested him. And he's going through this monkey trial with the religious leaders. And there's people in the middle of the night around a campfire. And Peter's just hanging around there, kind of staying close, but far enough that he's out of danger. And after a little while, those that were standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're, you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And he began to call down curses. Peter, I will never leave. I'm, I'm with you, Jesus, all the way. And before the sun rises, he's cursing that he never knew him. I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. That before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Have you ever felt that way when you've disappointed God? Have you ever done something and you think, oh man, I am the worst of the worst. I, I can't believe I... In church, I went forward and I raised my hand. And I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. In church, I made these promises at the end of the service when the pastor asked me to promise something to God. And I, I knew I was going to walk out of there on Sunday morning and I'm going to be on top of the world all week. And by the time Monday comes along, you've just blown it. Anybody else? Am I the only one? Yeah, that's Peter. The rock turned to butter. The rooster crowed. If you ever see a church that's called St. Peter's or something, you'll see a rooster weather vane. That's, that's, about, that's about Peter. Thank goodness Jesus didn't leave him in that condition. So Peter, Staying from a distance, watching the crucifixion, goes into hiding. You know the story. We talk about it every year at Easter. The women go to the tomb. Peter goes to the tomb. He's half believing, half not believing, not sure what to think. He says, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go back to fishing. And so he does. So he's back to fishing. And in John's gospel, chapter 21, it tells a story that it's, it's at nighttime. He's fishing overnight. Sees somebody walking along the shore building a little fire, gets to shore, it's Jesus, he goes to shore, and Jesus has this most intimate conversation with Peter. He says, Peter, do you still love me? Oh, you know I do. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you, do you really love me? 
oh, Jesus, you, you know I do. I really do take care of my sheep. Peter, Peter, do you really love me? Oh, Jesus. You see, Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus gave him three opportunities to say, I'm back. I'm with you. I'm here. I'm here. And Jesus knew what Peter was going to end up doing, that he was going to go forth and he was going to go ahead and be the leader of this, this movement after Jesus ascended into heaven. And he knew that Peter would end up being crucified like Jesus was someday. Only Peter, at the end of his life, said, I'm not worthy of dying the way Jesus did. So he said, I want to be crucified upside down. And so he was. That's according to tradition. So he was restored. Well, that brings us to the end of the Gospels. And then we come to Luke's writing in the book of Acts. And uh, Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, and I'm almost done. Luke, again, referring to Theophilus. I'm going to tell you more about this story. Um, and he says uh, in Luke chapter 1, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with the disciples, he gave them the command that don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise, wait for the gift that my father promised. For you've heard me speak about it. He said, John baptized with water, but in a few days, Jesus told his followers, the spirit he talked about, that, uh, that, that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what happened was the, the people gathered in Jerusalem and, and, and Jesus, when he appeared to them, they said, Lord, are you going to are you going to restore your kingdom at this time? They still were hanging on to the hope that, that, that Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom. And he said, no. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that my father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, my martyrs. The word martyr comes from that word in the original language, marturion. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Just as an aside, in this sermon series that we're doing this summer, we call it Page Turner. We're looking at three volumes. The first volume is the Jerusalem volume. That's the awakening series. Over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about what happened in Jerusalem. Then we'll be talking about, the next series is about transforming. And we're, we're talking about what, what God did in, Ju in Judea and Samaria. And then we'll talk about overcoming and how God breached over the divide between Jews and Gentiles and went into the Gentile world and to the uttermost or the ends of the earth. So that's how we divided this up into these three different months of, of summer. So Jesus ascended into heaven. He told them, and just wait here in Jerusalem. The Spirit's going to come. But while they're waiting in Jerusalem, the question arises. Jesus is gone now. It seems like he ascended into heaven. He's not going to be appearing any longer. Who's going to be our leader? Who's going to step up? And that's where Peter stepped up at that point. And Peter, it says that, that, that in, in those days he stood up literally among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And he said to them, brothers, the scripture has to be fulfilled. And he talked about how Judas was gone. Now we need to have 12. There were 12 tribes. We got to have 12 disciples. And so we need to elect somebody else to be, to, to take Judas's place. And he led them in the, in the, the first church decision 
the first corporate decision. How are we going to make this decision? Let's cast lots. It was between Matthias and, I forget the other name right now, and it ended up the lots fell on Matthias. So the point there is, though, that Peter just began to step into his role. He offered a solution to a problem that was there. But then Acts chapter 2, and this is where, boom, this is the climax of the first chapter of the book of Awaken, of the book of Acts. And there, while they were there on the day of Pentecost, celebrating the Jewish holiday of Pentecost, they were in one place. Suddenly, like a sound, like a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came upon each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now in Jerusalem, there are all these God-fearing Jews from coming there to celebrate Passover from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, they gathered in, in bewilderment because each of them heard in their own language these Galileans and, and Judeans speaking in their own language the wonderful works of God. And then they said, aren't these people, aren't these people Galileans? How do they know our language Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And some made fun of them and said, oh, they just had too much wine. I, I just love the, the little humorous jabs that go into these stories. Peter gets up and he said, it's only nine in the morning, not too much wine. <laughs> it's exactly the first defense of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, they're not drunk. <laughs> I find that humorous. I don't know if you do, but you don't have to laugh. So here Peter's message is. It's, it's only nine in the morning. They're not drunk. I'm summarizing it. This is what the prophet Joel talked about when he said in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. And young men, women prophesying, dreaming dreams, old men seeing vision, and that, that, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he talked about Jesus, this Jesus this Jesus, whose miracles and wonders and signs proved that he was from God. He was put to death, but God raised him up. We are all witnesses of that. Our wonderful King David didn't rise from the dead. In fact, he talked about his descendant. This is who Jesus is. He's the one that appeared to us after he was crucified. We can't say that enough. This Jesus whom you crucified is the Lord and Messiah. Boom! Peter, who was denying Jesus, stepped up and said, he's the one, he's the Messiah. He, this Peter, who turned from a rock to butter is now back to being a rock again, confessing that Jesus was who he claimed to be. The people said, what do we do? What do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Spirit, the promise that's for you, for your children, and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This story is your story. This story is my story. 
This story is about people believing in the impossible reality that God rose from the dead, appeared to people, and then they went and told others about it and it changed the world. 3,000 people heard that message and that day were baptized and joined their ranks. That's a pretty good first sermon. How about, was yours that successful? (laughs) (laughs) Mine wasn't. People were running out the doors when I was preaching. So here's the thing. What is it that inspires me about this? Peter got woke. Peter got woke. Now that's a slang term. If you don't have heard that lately, you got to understand. Are you woke? Have you heard people saying, are you woke yet? Are you woke? What does that mean? Are you woke? Well, and according to the Urban Dictionary and according to slang usages, are you woke? It's all about, are you awakened to the realities around you? Are your eyes finally being opened up to the truth that you never could see before? It's like entering into the matrix and taking the red pill, and all of a sudden you see things as they really are. Are you woke? Peter got woke to really, really who Jesus was and the realities around him. A lot of people around today are getting woke to the injustices, to the social problems that we're facing, and it's causing a lot of turmoil because some are woke and some are trying to get the others to be woke about the issues. And there's the battle about, are you woke about immigrants? Are you woke about injustice? Are you woke about all these things? Peter got woke, and it woke 3,000 people that day. That's the awakening. That's the beginning of the awakening, right there, right then and there. And the point is that that's what the Spirit of God does. He awakens us. He wakes us up to a reality that we never saw before, to the reality that there is a God in heaven who came to earth, who was indeed one of us and yet fully God. And this God took upon himself all the all the the grief, all the rejection, all the hurt, all the pain, all the suffering that you could ever, ever, ever go through. And the very people that put him in the grave, he forgave. And he showed them what God was like. And he takes upon himself the sins of all who would believe in him. They get buried with him in the grave. We get baptized. We're buried in the grave with Jesus. We are brought out of the water. We're raised to new life with Jesus, and we are woke. We are woke, awakened to the new life that we have in God. Folks, if that doesn't get you excited, you need to get woke. And I'm serious, serious as cancer right now. You need to get woke. We need the Spirit's filling. I don't need the Spirit filling from when I was 16 or 17 years old and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. No, I don't need it then. I need it now. I need it daily. I need it constantly. Well, do you speak in tongues? I speak in tongues. I got it. You don't. Uh, you know what? Let's get rid of that conversation and just ask the question Are you woke to the Spirit of God? Are you woke? Are you, are you saying, I want the Spirit today? to wake me up to the realities around me? Because when I am woke by the Spirit, with the Spirit's filling, number one, three things, I have greater potential than I ever realized. 
When I am awakened by the Spirit, I can lean into the Spirit's power. I can bravely step forward with the help of the Holy Spirit into my best story because that's what Jesus is all about, is helping you achieve your best story. And without the Spirit's power, you can't get there. You can't do that. So I need the Spirit to help me realize that I have greater potential than I ever knew before. And I need to be woken awakened, woke to that new potential that I have, that you have, and we all have. He sees things in you that you don't see. Not only do I have higher potential, I have a higher purpose. I have a greater purpose than ever before. The Spirit wakes me to this mission of Jesus, and my life is no longer just revolving around me and my hopes and my dreams and getting everybody around me to control, to control everybody around me to make me happy. My happiness is secondary to doing what Jesus wants. And I find that as I do that, I have greater purpose. I have greater meaning. I can be a vessel for Jesus' forgiveness and love and grace and mercy in the world. And who cannot say that we need more love and mercy and grace and forgiveness in the world? If not those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, then who? And the Spirit needs to wake us to that. And then I have deepest pleasure in stepping into my best story. I just find that the greatest joy isn't in what others can do for me. The greatest joy comes in when I'm able to help do things for others. It's more blessed to give than receive, it says, Jesus said. And so, folks, my life takes on deeper meaning. My joy is greatest when I am loving other people in Jesus' name. And when I love other people in Jesus' name, I am most happy. When I take, when I take, when I take, I'm never happy. But when I give, I'm overflowing. Folks, are you woke? Are you woke? Bow your heads with me, please. If the Spirit were to wake you today, what would change? If you were to be filled with more of Jesus today, what in your life would be different? How would you be different toward others? Where do you need to step into your best story? And can you not ask the Spirit of God to awaken you? I want to pray. I want to pray. I think Imagine if you were to wake to the potential that you have, the purpose you have, the joy of serving Jesus. How different would your family, would your home, would your life be? If we all were to do, how different would our church be? How different would our community be? Spirit of God, I thank you that you fell on those 120 believers that they were woke by the Spirit. They were awakened to who they were in God and they changed the world. God, wake me today 
Wake me, awaken me, wake me to my potential. Pray that with me. God, wake me to my potential. Wake me to your purpose in my life. Wake me to the mission of Jesus. God, awaken me to the things that Jesus would be about if he were in my shoes. Awaken me to the needs of the people around me, to the systemic issues as well as the personal issues that people face. Help me, Jesus, to be a force of grace and mercy and forgiveness and help to the hurting, to, the, to, to those that are outcasts, to those that are, are, are on the fringes and on the margins. Awake me to being your part of the solution and not part of the problem. Help me, God, to be a vessel of healing and mercy in my world to the person at my job that is going through a tough time, to my family member who needs somebody to love them even when they're unlovable. God, help me. Help me, Jesus to awaken to the things that, 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 that are important to you, I pray. And God, may all of us be woke every day as we awaken in the morning, be woke to the Spirit of God in us because we put our faith and trust in the one who pours out his Spirit on all flesh. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Holy Spirit. I want you, Holy Spirit. I'm open to you, Spirit of God. Wake me today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.